You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, not that anybody cares, but um, yesterday was every podcaster's worst nightmare. You finish an episode, you delete the episode, you can't recover the episode. So um, today will be... A lot of repeating what should have been yesterday's episode, which I guess is fine. It means I've practiced, but it also means, ugh. But the the good news is there was some additional information. The other the other big annoyance I have is is when I do a podcast and then uh, come to find out new news. For example, Jair's new contract and Preston's new contract, et cetera, et cetera. So now I can kind of couple all that together. But um, actually, let's let's get the uh, yesterday's thing out of the way. There was an article that was uh, somewhat interesting from The Athletic that sort of detailed a lot of information regarding Russell Wilson and the fact that apparently he had tried to get his coach and GM fired from Seattle. Now, obviously, he came out and said that's not true, whatever, but buried in this article was a little tidbit that I find um, a little hard to understand exactly what it is they're talking about, but we should probably cover it. First of all, again, quite interesting as far as Russell Wilson. And I think in addition to the little snippet about Rodgers and Hackett and Lafleur and all that, um, is maybe adding to the interesting discussion about how much power and control should be given to a quarterback. And at what point do we draw a line and say, you've gone too far? For example coming over to a new team, having your own office and hiring your own staff. I think we can draw the line somewhere before that. I hate that I hate Russell. I shouldn't say hate, but I want to like the guy. On one hand, he seems like the most nice, likable person. But um, man, he's an arrogant guy, isn't he? Holy cow. But also, it, it kind of runs along some of the calls that I've been getting on Packernet After Dark in return in regards to... We saw it with Favre. We're seeing it with Rodgers. Now you look at what's going on with Russ. It just seems like you get to a certain point where you have all the power, you have all the money, you have all the everything, and you 
it's let's just say it's hard to not be a little bit full of yourself. But anyways, before we get too far ahead of ourselves here, um, let's just look at the article in its entirety. It was written by, again, The Athletic. It says The Athletic staff, Kalen Kaler, Mike Sando, and Jason Jenks uh, corroborated, I guess, to put this all together. The article kind of starts off by um, talking about how there was a clear rift between, at the very least, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. Talked about a regular season game with the Denver Broncos last year. There was a real awkward uh, hug with Pete Carroll, whatever. And it, it had people kind of wondering, like, what the heck is going on? But it says seven months prior to that awkward exchange, it had a bunch of people going, what the heck was that was uh, about? Apparently, Russell Wilson had gone to ownership and said, I want both of these guys fired. According to this paragraph here, it says, Wilson and Carroll had clashed in recent years over the quarterback's role in the offense and the overall direction of the team that had uh, gradually declined after back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. So, Again, just in terms of keeping little parallels in the sides in, in the, the corners of our minds. I don't know why corners is better than sides, but it just felt right. We have a riff brewing because a quarterback has a vision different than the coach and wants to push his vision. It goes on to say, convinced that Carroll and Schneider were inhibiting his quest to win additional Super Bowls and individual awards, Wilson asked Seahawks ownership to fire both of them, according to league source sources who spoke to the athletic on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the details. Wilson also had preferred replacement had, had a preferred replacement in mind, and this is a very interesting little tidbit, Sean Payton, who had recently stepped down from the New Orleans Saints. For those that don't know, remember, this is him in Seattle before he came to Denver. Apparently, he was getting into it, was not happy with the GM, which I completely understand, and the head coach went to the ownership and said, I want both of these guys fired, and I want Sean Payton to come in here. Not that this all happened in one sentence, but generally speaking, wanted Sean Payton to be the new head coach. He then goes to Denver, does whatever he does in Denver, and next year, who does Denver hire? Sean Payton. Maybe it's a coincidence. He's a big name. I'm sure he's a very sought-after guy, but it is interesting. Before we get into that, the next paragraph says, that request set in motion a wild 13-month uh, months kicked off by Wilson's stunning trade to Denver. And the article talks about how that th- that moment was when ownership was like, all right, this quarterback's got to go. It's become a problem. He's getting too pushy. He's getting too big. He thinks he's going to run stuff around here. He's going to march up here and have the audacity to demand a coach and GM get fired. He's got to go. The funny thing about that is, let's just say hypothetically that he went to Denver and after Hackett got fired, demanded his own coach and that coach was Sean Payton, and they're like, oh yeah, sure, whatever you say, sir. And then come to find this article where Seattle had the backbone to look him dead in the face and say, get the heck out of my office. You got to feel a little bit crappy about that, don't you? Like, oh shoot, is that is that what they did? Was I supposed to have like a spine here? Or? Okay, well, that's crazy. It says, within days of Wilson's call to Seahawks ownership, top team officials met, uh, met and decided to pursue a trade of the most successful quarterback in franchise history. So days later, they um, found a new home for him. That's when Russell went to Denver um, and basically got whatever he wanted. Wilson spoke with Patton about the support staff he intended to employ, apart from official team employees, including Jake Hapes, his personal quarterback coach, as well as nutritionists and physical therapists. Wilson explained why it was important to have his staff nearby, including inside Denver's facility, an area reserved for team personnel. Patton discussed the arrangement with Hackett and signed off on it. The setup was unprecedented for both players and coaches. Quote, 
No one else I have been around has ever been able to have those people in there, which, looking back on it, not a good idea, a member of the 2022 Broncos coaching staff said. The Broncos gave Wilson an office at the team facility, a rare perk. Wilson did not have an office in Seattle, and Hapes had only limited access to the Seahawks facility. Several Broncos veterans said they didn't mind Wilson having his own office, especially because the quarterback spent so much time at the facility. Quote, he's got a whiteboard the size of the wall. It's just littered with motivational quotes and new play concepts. Uh, It was crazy to see his mind thrown all over the wall. But the bottom line is, and this is just my personal opinion, and it's not a direct parallel to Aaron Rodgers, but I do think it, it really just goes to show that, yes, he is a superstar, and maybe things can't be exactly equal for him as it is for everybody else, and I'm saying maybe, but there has to be a line somewhere where at the end of the day, you are a freaking quarterback. You are just a player. You need to shut your mouth and go play football and let me do the other stuff. If we start designating certain people as superstars, we're getting away from the core concept of team. And you can see that in a lot of areas. You can see that with money. When you designate too much money to one area and you don't have enough for other areas, it hurts the team. Why? Because it's not about one guy. It's never about one guy. It has to be about team. And each person in there has to be about team. Everybody has to work together as a team. It's great to have superstars so long as they're operating within the team the system, as a unit. It's important, and and Denver got it wrong. They went out and got Hackett because they wanted a system, and then they got Russell because they wanted a quarterback. They went and got individual pieces that didn't actually fit together and started throwing this like super team nonsense together. The article also goes on to talk about how they tried to blend Hackett's system and stuff that Russell Wilson wanted, and it was a complete, utter Frankenstein disaster. Go figure. And it didn't work. And it's not going to work. And fortunately for them, the coach that uh, Denver did hire that apparently Russell Wilson wants is no longer going to allow him to be a prima donna diva. You do not have your own office. You will not have your own personnel staff. You are a football player like everybody else. And you're going to be treated like every other football player. Anyways, the interesting part about this that involves the Green Bay Packers is obviously when they were talking about Hackett. Start up a little ways. It says from Russell Wilson, this has to be a player run kind of team, Wilson told King. Coach Hackett gives us the keys to do that. After his visit, King wrote about Wilson's relationship with Hackett compared to his relationship with Carroll. King quoted one source close to Wilson saying, Hackett and Russell are not coach player, they're partners. Goes on to say, Hackett was Green Bay's offensive coordinator in 2019, the first time head coach Matt LaFleur took over after Aaron Rodgers spent 13 years in Mike McCarthy's offense. Early in the partnership, multiple Packers players said LaFleur would sometimes present a new concept or play in an offensive meeting only to have Rodgers shoot it down. The next part is where it gets a little confusing. It says, as the season went on, that dynamic flipped. Rodgers produced at a high level under LaFleur and developed a close bond with Hackett. What flipped? LaFleur started shooting down Rodgers' ideas? What does that mean? Anyways, that's kind of the end of it. Here, here's here's how I want to kind of finish this and put a little bow on it. Because obviously what's going on in Denver is interesting. What happened in Seattle is interesting. But this has to do with the Packers. Number one, considering all the issues we have that I have with Matt LaFleur and I think his lack of assertiveness and everything else, I think was elevated and put on display in a massive way in Denver. Hackett took that same approach got buddy-buddy with the superstar, treated him like a superstar, gave him everything he wanted, and it isolated the team. It isolated Russell. The the scheme was non-existent. It was a Frankenstein disaster, and ultimately there wasn't a team. Go figure. This buddy-buddy crap and the fact that apparently... Here's the other thing. Let, Let me read that again. 
Multiple Packers players said LaFleur would sometimes present a new concept or offensive play in an offensive meeting, and Rodgers would shoot it down. You're going to do that in public, in front of everybody? And by shoot it down, you don't mean, he didn't say try to shoot it down, or ask questions, or raise concerns. He would just shoot it down as in, no, we're not doing that. As in, I spent hours and hours, I spent the entire freaking offseason putting this together, and I'm explaining to you what is going to happen, and you have the audacity to sit up and say, I'm not doing that, that's stupid. How about this? F you, sit down, shut your mouth, and if you have a concern, you can talk to me after the meeting privately. Don't you ever, ever do that in public again. Are you kidding me? You're going to undermine me, the head coach of this team, in front of the entire team. But LaFleur won't do that. Apparently, he just goes, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll, We'll make it work, bud. Same thing, apparently, Hackett was doing out there. Russell's like, I don't like that play. I want to do this. I'm going to bring these plays over. He's like, okay, sure, yeah, we'll we'll call your plays, and then sometimes we'll call my plays. We'll share. Like, sometimes I'll bring a lunch, and you can eat my lunch, and it's fine. Like, it's cool. You want you want my Oreos? Well, I don't, I don't really like eating your vegetables, but if that's what you feel is a fair trade, bud, then we'll do it. Okay. Now, it says the dynamic flipped, which maybe means he doesn't do that anymore, but I just, I don't understand. And, and listen, you know, saying F you to the quarterback, obviously you don't want to actually do that. I'm, I'm speaking in terms of generalities, in terms of the message I need to get across from you, and that is I'm the head coach. I implement the scheme. I call the plays. You and I will have a meeting after this where we can discuss some tweaks or whatever, and I will change them at my discretion. But do not ever, ever confront me like that in front of the entire team again. And then he goes on talking about how a real coach, you know, it's all about respect. How in the heck is he going to get respect when you're cutting them down in, 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 in group meetings? That's BS. I don't care who you think you are, Mr. Superstar. My meeting, I run the meeting. You can raise your hand and ask a question. Otherwise, your job is to shut up and listen, and my job is to talk. Unbelievable that you would let people just steamroll over you like that. Yeah, we're not doing that. I mean, look, I, I, again, I, I, this is not a, uh, a football team that we run over here at Packernet. I let the guys pretty much do whatever they want. They got their own thing. They got whatever. And it's cool. Like, it's, it's, I stay away from your thing. You stay away from mine. Like, there's some general guidelines as far as being family-friendly and whatnot and, and pre- you know, presenting quality content as opposed to just, I don't know, other things that sometimes crop up. But let's just say, for example, Jake reached out to me and said, hey, just so you know, I'm doing the draft stuff, and so I don't think you should be doing it. So don't do that anymore because I'm doing draft. You focus on the other offseason stuff. That would be an immediate problem. Again, you're good, man. You do what you got to do. Like, we've got kind of a laid-back environment. Don't do that. Do not tell me what I'm going to do with my podcast. So, I don't know. It's just stuff like this that just shocks me, you know? And, you know, there's two issues here. Number one is we have a quarterback that feels that it's okay to do this. And number two, we have a coach that apparently allows it. Ideally, we would have neither. But this uh, Matt LaFleur, Hackett, buddy-buddy thing. um, And again, there's nothing wrong with working together. I mean, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady work together out out of a mutual respect and understanding of how things operate and what we can do and all that. That's fine, but it was in private meetings. Do you think for a second Tom Brady would ever interrupt a Bill Belichick meeting and tell him, I'm not doing that? In a billion years, he would never dare. Ever. 
Number one, because he's not an idiot. Bill Belichick would shred him. But number two, because Tom Brady has enough respect for Bill Belichick as a head coach of the team to not do that publicly in front of everybody. And it's, it's just, it's embarrassing as a Packer fan to think that this is how things are run, that it's just this, you know, they talk about the standard. Shut up about the standard. There's no standard in Green Bay anymore. It just feels like this, I don't know, it's, it's so just like we have a, a coach that says, here's the plan, and then the defensive coordinator says, here's the plan, and guys just kind of usually don't do it. You know, the defense, what's the issue with the defense? Well, look, well, yeah, but uh, they're not executing the scheme, so it doesn't count. Well, why aren't they? I don't know. I, I, I guess my biggest fear is one way or another, Rodgers is going to be gone, whether it's this year, next year, whatever. Who knows? You know how some people are concerned about Rodgers needing these elite wide receivers in order to be able to be good at football and stuff? Does Matt LaFleur need, like, complacent guys that... Uh, are never going to question him or just do whatever. I mean, because Jordan Love's probably that guy, at least for now, because he doesn't know any better. He just knows what Matt LaFleur has taught him. But is that is that like required now? Because if anybody steps up and is like, I don't like it, I'm not doing it. They're like, okay. I mean, honestly, that was even <laughs> kind of the issue with the defensive coordinator too. Even though the fans wanted it, what happened? Week one, Packers got crushed. And everybody was mad because Justin Jefferson was running wild. And if we had just let Jair play man coverage, he would have shut him down. And then he plays man coverage against some scrubs and gets absolutely annihilated. And, and my only question is, Joe, why are you listening to the fans? I, I, you were hired to implement a... Spe- Matt LaFleur was brought in to implement a specific scheme, and so was Joe Barry. And right now we got Matt LaFleur running whatever Aaron Rodgers wants, and Joe Barry running whatever Jair wants. What the f- What are we doing? It doesn't matter if they're right. It doesn't matter if Jair is better in man coverage. It doesn't matter if Aaron Rodgers performs better under different plays. The point is, if we don't have a cohesive system that we play under, offensively and defensively, we don't have a football team. There has to be a direction. There has to be a leader. There has to be somebody that says, listen, I know you don't like it. I know you don't understand it. I just need you to freaking do it. I need you to trust me that if you do your job, it will work. And instead, we got a bunch of guys going, well, okay, I guess we'll try it your way. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, that sucks. Should we try it my way again? What do you guys want to do? What is this? I just, I just don't understand it. But anyways, getting off that topic, why don't we talk about how the Packers did what they always do, and that is get out of a mess they created before by creating a new mess. Sorry, is that pessimistic? I shouldn't do that. Actually, the Jair thing I said I expected, and it's it's not a terrible thing. I don't mind front-loading contracts because it means he's dirt cheap going forward, but whatever. Preference would always be to not push money out. But in this case with Jair Alexander, um, we freed up a ton of money, and he's still not massively expensive moving forward. Um, He does have one void year now in 2027 at the age of 30 years old. So assuming, let's just say he plays through 29 and leaves, which is probably unlikely, I don't know. um, We would have to pay 2.3 million for him to not be here, which is that whole thing again, which isn't a lot, but still it's annoying. But instead of paying him 20 million bucks, which I think it was, it's now down to 10.7. And that brings him up to 24, then 26, then 28. And I think the bigger issue isn't so much that, you know, we could afford 20 this year and then whatever it was before and leave it, or we can kind of stagger it. 
which we did. But the problem is, I have a feeling when we get to next year and he costs $24 million, we might want to do this again. And then it just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to keep doing it. So right now he's 10.7. Next year, again, about $24 million. Uh, we cannot get out of the contract at that point. If it uh, 2025, if we wanted to, we technically could get out. It would be $19 million in dead money, which means we would save almost seven. And then um, the more plausible thing, if things really turn south, would be 2026. It would be uh, a little under $11 million in dead cap, and we would save about $17 million. In reality, more than likely, hopefully, he not only plays out this contract, but plays for several more years. So maybe what you see is something like next year, instead of the 24, we push more money out and people piss and moan about it. And then in 2025, when he's 28, he gets like a contract extension and we just kind of redistribute the money out. Something like that. I don't know. We'll see. That's that's a long time from now. But ultimately, the Packers restructured his deal the same way that they do with everything else. They saved about $9.5 million this year. And again, as I said, this was the most obvious choice. I, I think they did more than I expected. But I think that's to be expected. The Packers have a have a tendency to do more than I feel is is uh, necessary. They they, they want to be much more comfortable. I look at it and say, what's the bare minimum we can do? And they're like, no, nah, let's get some breathing room, which probably makes sense, but I don't like it. <laughs> let's just be poor this year so we're not poor next year. Come on, please. We got to be poor sometime, man. I mean, have you noticed how every year it seems to be a, a thing where we don't have any money to get free agents? You know that's never going to change, right? Until we actually correct this. I'm just I'm just asking if you know that. Like we are restructuring everybody just so that we can be broke and not have any money to do anything. There's never going to be a day where we actually have money like everybody else unless we stop doing this. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Just I'm just talking here. Um in addition to that, we also restructured outside linebacker Preston Smith. They converted his base salary um and Smith's 7.5 million dollar roster bonus into a signing bonus and avoided a void year in 2027, and added a void year. I was going to say, how do you avoid a void year? Added a void year in 2027 to create the savings. Their new favorite thing, the void years. Uh, total cap savings, $6.68 million. They even have a running total on here. Um, when you add in the 11.8 that they saved from Aaron Jones, the 9.4 they saved with Jair Alexander, or I should say moved, not saved, and the 6.6 that they moved from Preston, they were able to push $28 million into the future, which uh, I believe is now going to get us back into the black. Which is a good thing. According to Over the Cap, we're sitting at about $6.4 million. And so that's that. I, I, I want to bring up one other thing. I've already mentioned this, and I don't know this. This is just my perception, but I saw it on Twitter recently where somebody was saying that we can't really afford Aaron Rodgers, and then the comment was made. Well, Rodgers already said that they would adjust his contract if he came back that may be the case if Aaron Rodgers comes back they may want to touch his contract I hope not because it's already again the issue isn't this year it's the future years but I just want to be clear I don't believe Aaron Rodgers said that they are going to change his contract if he comes back to Green Bay he was specifically talking about his um uh, this this bonus coming up that's like 60 million dollars and how are you going to afford 60 million dollars and again, as was already reported or, or as, as is assumed, that $60 million will be spread over probably three years. Now, the weird thing is that he did talk about being cash poor, meaning they may not have the actual money up front, so they may have to do something else. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's not... The, the context of it was, 
how are these new teams going to take him on and have this massive $60 million cap hit? And his answer was, they're not going to take a $60 million cap hit. They're going to have to do something with the contract. And that something is going to be distributing that out over several years. It has nothing to do with lowering his cap hit. Again, that may happen. I just think the specific comment that Rodgers was talking about was not addressing that particular issue of lowering his cap hit. He doesn't even have that big of a cap hit this year. Anyways, um, why don't we take a break here? Uh, again, we'll end on a, on a high note, and that is the Packers are, as expected, right back where um, they were going to be. There was never a scenario where the Packers were just going to have to fold as an organization because they couldn't figure out a way to get back under the salary cap. That's obviously not a thing. But we're there, and, and everybody that was panicked about it can breathe. And uh, on the other side of this, I want to talk about what is coming up this week. Very, very excited about the Combine. All good things. Um, Not sure if there's going to be any kind of a live stream. Honestly, I didn't think about it until right this second, but I think that'd be kind of fun. Maybe we could uh, talk uh, Jake and the boys into getting on or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But I want to go over something here. Uh, There was a, I don't want to say leaked, but uh, Daniel Jeremiah did a conference call. And I want to kind of go over the contents of said conference call because I found some of the details to be interesting, uh, including who is going to be there. A Green Bay Packer, for example. I don't mean the scouts. I'm talking about a player as a media analyst. I'm just saying. Do you know about that? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Guess we'll find out. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, Fertile Ground Ranch, Discipleship Ministry.org. Please check them out. See if it's something that you would like to support. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So Mr. Daniel Jeremiah um, of NFL Network held a media conference call. In other words, he was the host, whatever, and um, took questions from the media about the upcoming um, thingamajig. NFL draft, I guess, in general, but also the the combine in particular. And I want to go over some of the details. First of all, NFL Network will provide live coverage of the combine on-field drill starting Thursday, March 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, continues Friday uh, with the defensive backs and special teams. Saturday at 1 p.m. will be quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends, obviously the most anticipated day, which is why it's on Saturday. And then Sunday 
will be the offensive linemen and running backs. Um, Daniel Jeremiah will be joined by Rich Eisen, Chris Rose, Charles Davis, Peter Schrager, Ian Rappaport, and Stacey Dales, all four days of coverage. In addition to NFL Network, NFL Plus provides live coverage of on-field positional drills with players-only combine streaming Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, Friday 4 p.m. Eastern, Saturday 2 p.m. Eastern, Sunday 1.30 p.m. Eastern. NFL media analyst Kurt Warner, Steve Smith Sr., Joe Thomas, Sean O'Hara, Maurice Jones-Drew, and Michael Robinson will be joined by Calais Campbell, Matt Judon, Dwight Freeney, Devin White, Joe Hayden, Sauce Gardner, Kenny Moore, Jordan Poyer, Adam Thielen, Dawson Knox, Dallas Goddard, Taylor Dewan, Deion Dawkins, Aaron Jones, and Jamal Williams, along with host Rhett Lewis. So Aaron Jones is going to be there. He's going to be uh, having some, I don't know exactly what his role is going to be. I guess somewhat of a guy that sits and talks about running back stuff and maybe a little bit about the Packers. I don't know. Anyways, uh, before he turned it over to questions, Daniel Jeremiah had some opening notes, and I found it kind of interesting. Um, He kind of gave a summary of how he sees this draft class, and here's what he said. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you all for being here. This is going to be, I think, going to be a fun draft. There's a lot of unknown Blah, 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 blah. Then he says, I think the uh, in terms of overall strength of the draft, it's a really good corner group. I think it's a good edge rusher group. I think the tight end group is the best I've seen in the last 10 years. It's outstanding. So, you know, the running backs are really solid. It's a fun draft. At some of those positions, you know, the quarterbacks, as I mentioned, are going to be a big storyline. I don't think the wide receiver group is quite what we've seen in the recent years here. Anyways, it's deep at some positions for sure. So tight end group, best he's seen in 10 years, solid edge rushers, good corners, really weak at wide receiver. One of the things I had mentioned is that I think pretty much every team probably, because it makes sense, but the Packers do a good job of taking what the draft gives you, not reaching for the position of need, but taking the position of strength. That doesn't mean we're going to draft a tight end, but considering how big of a need it's probably going to be, considering it's one of the the top tight end drafts in the last 10 years, I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers take um, probably multiple swings and potentially some pretty big swings, i.e. first round, second round. Once we hit third round, I don't consider that a big swing, especially considering that is the worst round in the history of the universe. Anyways, I want to go through this because you've got some um, team reporters and whatnot that are talking, and he just kind of provides some inside nuggets that are worth talking about. We can maybe stay away from things that don't potentially pertain to the Packers, but for example, the first question was about the Detroit Lions, and who would be a good uh, edge rusher to pick at six. He talked about Tyree Wilson. Uh, is probably the best option due to his athleticism and his wingspan, but has an injury history. Miles Murphy, and both of these guys, by the way, are potentials. I know what we're talking about. How is it possible we're talking about six, but also potentially 15? Maybe not Tyree as much, but Murphy absolutely could be there at 15. Miles Murphy has potential, but needs to improve his technique. Van Ness has explosive power, but didn't start at Iowa. Jeremiah would rank Tyree Wilson first, followed by Murphy, and then Van Ness. Next question, there was actually a really interesting nugget. Obviously, the Chicago Bears thing has been talked about ad nauseum. Most people think they should trade back. That seems to be the consensus, and he doesn't necessarily disagree. But the one interesting thing here is what he said is, based on previous trades for quarterbacks, teams will typically pay a premium of around 120% of the trade value chart. He said Texans, Colts, and Panthers make the most sense. But I think one of the more interesting things is there may be a very desired quarterback on the board when the Packers are sitting at 15, and 15 is not a terrible spot for Anthony Richardson to go. 
And so if you're telling me that teams wanting to trade up will give, let's just say, 100% of the trade value chart on average, but 120% for a quarterback, it'd be pretty sweet to find a team, especially for us wanting to trade back. And there's not a lot of value, but teams will always trade up for quarterbacks. There may be a really good opportunity to find a team willing to pay over value to get their quarterback so that we can trade back and get additional value and uh, additional picks. For example, let's just say hypothetical, let's pick Baltimore at pick 22. Let's just say things don't work out with Lamar. They decide to let him go. They need a quarterback. They want to come up and get somewhat of a Lamar type of player, big physical rushing guy, big arm, et cetera, et cetera. So they decide they want to move up. The, the, the trade value chart puts that right at the top of round three. With the increased value, you're talking about it's still bottom of the second round, but it is the difference between top of the third and bottom of the second. Now, obviously, you'd have to be a pick that Baltimore already has, so it's somewhat irrelevant. But just to show you the discrepancy or the 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 additional value that you'd be getting, you're talking about a, a premier third round pick compared to a late second round pick, depending on how far back you want to trade. Now, it's also interesting because you would have to assume 100% would just be the average meaning quarterbacks would be 120, but what if maybe tight ends are, what, 90, 85? Teams are much less willing to give up extra capital to get less desirous players. Anyways, after that, there's several more picks about the Bears and and their uh, trading back and that pick and the quarterbacks and all that. But then a little bit later, he talks about, again, they asked about Anthony Richardson and the Detroit Lions saying, you had the Detroit Lions taking Richardson at 18. Why do you think that's a good pick? And, and DJ said, I don't think he'll be available at 18 and said that several teams have shown interest in him. Now, I doubt you're going to say several teams are interested in him without knowing who those teams are. And if you're saying that he's not going to be there at 18, you see what I'm saying? So if we're talking that being the general range, let's say from between 12 and 18-ish, Packers are sitting right there. If that's the hot zone, and he actually makes it to 15, somebody's going to want to jump up and make sure that they can be the ones to get him. I'm just saying, as a scenario, it all depends on whether or not the Packers have somebody sitting there that they really like. But if they don't, I think they're in a great spot to be able to get out, assuming Richardson is still available. And if he's not, that means somebody took him, which means somebody else got pushed back further to us, which gives us another better pick. Uh, He's asked about the tight ends. Why do you say it's such a great tight end class? He said, in the top three rounds, I have 11 tight ends graded. And he said, that's an absolutely ridiculous number. He specifically highlights Dalton Kincaid. He says Kincaid's coming off an injury, but is a big time player in Jeremiah's opinion. Separates well, outstanding after the catch, can win on contact over the middle of the field. Thinks he's a better version, better version of Zach Ertz, who he liked coming out of college. Again, I talked about Kincaid. I didn't necessarily understand it, but I did see somebody post a highlight video of some of the ridiculous stuff he does. It sounds like there's a real chance that this guy is a freak tight end. Goes on to say other top tight ends include Michael Mayer, who's an all-around tight end, king of combat catches. Darnell Washington from Georgia is massive, like playing with a six offensive lineman in the run game. Um, He mentioned Musgrave from Oregon State, who could go in the first round, is expected to run in the low 4.5s at 255 pounds. I mentioned him before, too, because you've basically got three guys that are considered elite for their own reasons, right? You got Mayer, Washington, Kincaid, and then you got this other guy that isn't necessarily that extra offensive lineman or, or Mayer or the receiver or whatever, but he's got stupid speed, just unheard of at his size. And then he goes on to add that he doesn't think 14 is too high for these guys to start going where the Patriots sit. So again, you're just, nobody's talking about the Packers yet, but you're just looking in this range and it's, <laughs> everything is just, 
It's right where they're sitting. That's the action zone, man. You got Anthony Richardson there. You got the tight end starting to make sense. You got Bijan starting to make sense. Another question about tight ends come, came up. And, and again, it's interesting because we always get, and, and this is this is every year there are reminders. And this happens for me too, these, these reminders. We get so hung up on these big boards, consensus big boards, and, and the, the talking that's going on. And everybody gets things into this numerical, like this is just one, two, three, four, five, and six. And so it's it's Mayer, then it's Kincaid, then it's Washington, then it's Musgrave or whatever. And it's Mayer's a first-round guy. Kincaid was a second-round guy, has become a first-round guy, whatever. Then it's Washington is early second, and then it's Musgrave is mid-second. That's just kind of how we see it. But the funny thing is, he mentions here that all of them could be first-round picks, and different teams like different players. This is where, you know, the Packers took Quay Walker as the first linebacker and everybody lost their mind. Like, what are you doing? Everybody knows. Everybody knows he's not the best linebacker. And in reality, this is just sort of consensus talking, but every team has their own preferences. And so there are teams right now, apparently, talking about Musgrave, who is a guy that we haven't even really talked about very much, as potentially being the best tight end of the group. Probably not many, but it's just, it's, it's funny and interesting and important to remember. But he mentions that when you're watching tight ends, things to keep in mind, short area quickness, spatial awareness, and overall athleticism. As far as the Bijan question, um, from his perspective, and I'm sure that this is an informed perspective based on what other people have been saying, but the point is, it's, it's okay to take a running back in the first round, but only for those teams that are ready to go all in. He said, if you're a team that's building, it's a waste of time to draft a running back. And that that raises a question for the Packers. Again, we can dismiss the idea that we need a running back if you want, which because I think that makes sense. But just for the sake of argument, if we didn't have the running back and we employed this as the way that we thought, would we draft a running back because we think that that could get us over the hump? Or would we look at it and go, eh, let's take some time. Let's take our time and sort through this a little bit, shall we? I kind of think we'd be in wait and see mode. And instead, focus on, for example, a tackle, a position that regardless of whether or not we're, we're building or are ready to go right now, this person's going to help us. He's going to help us now and in five years and hopefully in 10 years. Um, I wanted to touch on this question about Brian Brzee because, again, it's a, it's a really it's an interesting thing for the Packers who are kind of in that zone. He could be long gone or he might fall to the back of the first round. I mean, there's just a lot of weird stuff with Brian Brzee which seems to be the case with a lot of guys. Quentin Johnston, oh, elite top 10 player or back of the first round guy. But uh, some scouting agencies have him really high, and apparently teams are extremely split, which is probably where all this is coming from. Because guys like Daniel, not not to say, I mean, he does his own scouting, no question, but there's a lot of guys that kind of do their own thing, but also really rely on what they're hearing from other teams and other scouts and everything else. And so if you're if if you, one team really likes somebody and somebody really doesn't, you're going to have these wide disparities of somebody has them in the top 10 and then somebody does a mock like Daniel Jeremiah and he's in the late 20s. And I think it's because there aren't those just surefire, can't-miss prospects, there really aren't a lot of those guys that are just like this This is clearly the number one, the number two, the number three, the number four, the number five. I mean, it may be one, four, two, three, five. You know, we'll, we'll kind of mix them up that way, but. In this class, it's like there's you're maybe a 5, maybe a 15, maybe a 25. I have no idea. But there are concerns about uh, his talent, his stiffness, um, and then also some questions about maybe some of those things having to do with his injuries, meaning this may not get better. Some see him as a first-round player. Some do not even see him as a first-round prospect, which, again, is crazy. This guy was a borderline top-five prospect not too long ago. 
Not that he ever really was in terms of what teams thought, but in terms of the draft community consensus, he was a top 10 lock and a top five potential type player. But he goes on to say the combine is valuable for evaluating players just like Brazil. And I think the combine also will help with some of the fluctuations, especially with a lot of the injury concerns. Some of these guys, you don't really know their athleticism. They crack some elite speed. That answers the speed question or the, the, the flexibility question or any of these kinds of things. And then you start to see more static numbers. Some of these guys may plummet because the only thing you got going for you is speed. And if you don't have that, then there's questions. Um, Jeremiah does talk about Hyatt, who's a guy that I get excited about just because it's easy to get excited about guys with speed. And one of the things he mentions, I think is actually kind of interesting because I think it's part of the reason I like him. It was the same reason I started to like Christian Watson. And it's because he has a high floor because he's fast and you can't take that from him. He has game breaking speed. The problem is what he doesn't have is a full route tree. And that kind of concerns me because although he says he could do some work in the slot, which could be beneficial, he could be uh, sort of a Randall Cobb 2.0 for us or something for a while. Um, I, I don't know that we need Christian Watson kind of slowly starting to develop his tree while at the same time Hyatt having even less of a tree and both of these guys just having straight line vertical speed. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just saying I, I struggle as much as I want to force that to fit. I'm struggling to find that as a really good fit. But anyways, there's a lot of there's a ton of things. You can go find it. I don't know, somewhere. It's over at NFLcommunications.com. But um there's a bunch of little interesting tidbits about a bunch of different things. He talked a lot about corner. Um, apparently, the Packers reporters decided not to attend this because there were no Packers. There were like the Eagles guys asked like 700 questions. The Titans had <laughs> just the same questions over and over again. But um, yeah, some some interesting insights about some of the guys and specifically. I mean, it, it's it's what are the questions? What are the things that teams are specifically looking for for this player in order to kind of crack that? You know. The, the Darnell Washington, he's a second round guy. What would he have to do to get into the first round? Or what would it cost? What would it take for Michael Mayer to fall into the second round? You know, I mean, a lot of this stuff isn't going to change drastically, but for some of these guys, it really is. And for a lot of it, we're not even going to see it. It's going to be how he, how he handled himself in the meetings. It's going to be the medicals, these kinds of things. And so a lot of this is going to be cool to see it live and be blown away by this, that, or the other. And then in other cases, there's going to be a slow trickle of information. This guy apparently did terribly in the uh, in the meetings. He had an attitude. He had this, he had that, whatever. And, and as Packer fans, that matters because we know Gutekunst pays a lot of attention to that. So if you hear about that kind of stuff, you go, eh, I don't know. Maybe you take him down a peg or two. Anyways, one final thing I wanted to touch on. Um, Kent Lee Platt is a guy that runs the RAS website, just doing the Lord's work over there. Um absolutely essential tool if you're going to be following along with the combine just looking at well as it says relative athletic score which is your athletic score relative to um, not just your position but your height and weight so if you're um, running in the four or fives it's not that impressive unless we're talking about for example a quarterback or a tight end or something and if you're six foot seven 270 pounds it's even more impressive right so that's all relative athletic score is he is just now, prior to the Combine, which is fantastic, put together uh, team pages. So there is a Green Bay Packers page where you can see the full roster on there. It shows their RAS. So, for example, the very top, you have Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California, first-round pick 24, drafted by the Packers. Packers in 2005 with a 7.16 RAS. You can sort by year drafted, by position, and by draft round. So it's super, super cool. But the thing that I find most interesting about this is that he actually took the extra step in um, 
doing what I probably would have wanted to do anyways, which would have taken me forever. And that is take each position, look at the best, the worst, the average, and then compare it to the league average. So for example, and he, he does this across the board, uh, quarterback, RAS, height, weight, 40 time, 20 yard uh, split, 10 yard split, bench, vert, broad, shuttle, and three cone. And then across all positions. So if you just look at RAS, the average for the Packers is seven, league average 6.63. So that's pretty normal. All the way across the board, it's pretty average. I'm going to look more in depth at some of this and do a little bit of work on it, but let's just go through and look at specifically at the RAS. Because as we know, the Packers have a tendency to be a little bit more athletically uh, geared, I guess, as compared to the league. Obviously, that's what we're comparing them to. Not to say that they specifically use RAS, but, you know, they just care about athleticism. So for running backs, the league average RAS is a 7.03, and this is out of 10. The Packers, 8.75. Wide receivers is slightly below average, but basically average, 6.9 compared to 7. Tight ends, the league average is just under 7. The Packers are at 8.6. In fact, the lowest tight end RAS score is 8.35. If you look at uh, tackles, they're about dead average. If you look at guards, 7.35. The Packers, 8.5. Massively above. Centers, it is below, but that's probably because we have like two of them, and one of them is a 3.72. The other guy's a 9.3. So that's that's the problem when you're averaging out and you only have like two guys. Pass rushers, slightly above average. 7.49 is the average. They're at 7.83. Defensive tackles are almost exactly average, 6.69 compared to 6.68. Linebackers, almost exactly average. Corners, very average, surprisingly. Safeties, safeties. League average is 6.82. Packers, 8.35. Their worst mark is a 6.68. So at worst, they're drafting guys that the league is getting on average. That's free safeties, by the way. Strong safeties. It looks like they've only got one on here, so it probably doesn't matter. But 9.23 is the best and worst mark. The league average is 7.31. So again, I'm going to look a little bit more into this because, again, it it looks at height and weight and all that stuff. And actually, I'll probably put it over on the sub stack. I've got uh, three different things planned for that. um, But I just obviously don't have time. But I will get it probably today. But um, I found it interesting. And again, this would be a great resource for the Packers when they come around. If you're looking at particular prospects, again, this is not... 100% 100% has to be this, that, or the other. And a lot of this is based on just a handful of guys. But you can see a clear trend that obviously they skew on the more athletic side. And you can pick out a couple of positions, which could just be, you know, coincidence. Could just be that it happens to be that. But again, you look at running backs, you look at guards, you look at tight ends, and then you look at safeties. It's a pretty wide margin how much more athletic the Packers are or how much more athletic the Packers draft than what the league does. So anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, Again, very, very excited about this combine, which hilariously, I say that every year and then I watch it and 30 seconds in, I'm like, dude, I just is boring. (laughs) I care about the information. It's just hard to sit and it's like baseball. But um, anyways, have a good night. Good day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.